wellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Backchat, exploring the five pillars of health with Dr. Paul Bergamo and Dr. Anthony Coxon. Welcome to Backchat. My name is Paul Bergamo, and it's great to be here in our next podcast. Backchat is about being your best. It does this by exploring the five pillars of health. It refers to being your best in thinking, moving, eating, sleeping, and also in your neurology. Today's Backchat podcast will cover the pillar of neurology. To help me today, as always, it's a great pleasure to introduce my fellow carpenter and co-host, Anthony Coxon. G'day, Anthony. How are you going? Good, Paul. Yourself? Very well. Very well. So what's news for you? Well, I'm excited about today's guest because um, just looking back at some of the podcasts we've done in the past, we've had you know experts talk about Lyme disease yes. and ticks. We've had foot surgeons, hand surgeons, back surgeons. We've had a whole lot of people who have been specialists in their field. But uh, this guy today just about seems to be a specialist in every field, doesn't he? He's done an incredible amount of training in different areas. He's so big on education. I know that he came to Australia a few years ago, and the diplomats of neurology in Australia know him really well. Yes, and I was um, happy, uh, fortunate enough to be at uh, his presentation in Melbourne. Yeah, the yep. one in Melbourne, that's yep. right. Yep, he was terrific. So we're just so lucky and fortunate to have uh, Dr. Brandon Brock join us today on our podcast. So let me introduce Brandon's a chiropractor in the United States that specialises in neurological rehabilitation. Brandon works as a clinician at multiple healthcare facilities, including the Cerebrum Health Centres. As a clinical director and curriculum developer with functional neurology seminars, along with completing education at his own site, drbrocklectures.com. Brandon is also a nurse practitioner that utilizes conventional medicine and procedural practices for patient care. Dr. Brock is currently doing a doctorate in clinical implementation and quality improvement from Duke University in the US and a postdoctorate program as a global clinical researcher scholar from Harvard University. He's blended education, clinical implementation experience, research knowledge, and educational expertise and patient treatment approach makes him a multidimensional from the perspective of patient care. Hi, Brandon. How are you going? Hey, guys. What is happening? I miss Australia. That's the first thing I'll say. I miss you guys. I wish I had an accent as cool as y'all's. <laughs> <laughs> well, funny. Do we think his accent's cool? Oh, yeah. I think he's got a pretty cool accent. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. Yeah. I, I don't think anyone likes their own accent, Brandon. It's just like <laughs> listening to your voice uh, on, yeah. on radio, you know. It doesn't uh, – yeah, yeah, everyone else seems to sound That's right. right. Exactly, exactly. So now, Brandon, Brandon yeah. you're coming yeah, – and thank you so much for taking time. I know you, you must be yes. in a, a hotel of some sort. You've moved – from the lobby to a quieter area just so you can have a <laughs> chat to us. So uh, we really appreciate you, you squeezing us in on such your, a busy schedule that you have. Well, you know, with time zone differences, man, you just like stop on the side of the road, find a hotel, you jump in there and you get some, some Wi-Fi and you go at it. That's yeah. what I can say. Oh, very good. <laughs> and, and Brandon, what's your typical day nowadays? Just so that you know, you're very busy, very, very busy. So what's your, what are you, I mean, we mentioned your bio. What's your typical week at the minute? You know, I, I like, I'm still a full-time clinician. Um, and I go to school full time and then I'm, I'm really creating a lot of lecture stuff and pulling a lot of material and kind of quilting together the information in multiple areas. I'm one of those guys that wants to kind of pull multiple disciplines into one area so that it, we don't leave things out. And then it, just trying to make people happy on the clinical side and then just educate. Really, the biggest thing is you can reach more patients by educating other practitioners. So a lot of fun, a lot of cool stuff. Reaching out to different people, different continents, different countries, different places, and doing whatever I can to to offer a lending hand. It's really a really a neat opportunity. I appreciate everything you guys are letting me be on, and it's just amazing. So, just one thing, Anthony, just so you know, the brand is actually talking at the Mind Forum, which is a children's 
seminar series. So a lot of Brandon's discussion today is going to be about children. Absolutely, and that's in May in Sydney. So yeah. uh, so, so we're in the time that we've got to you with you today, we'll, we'll focus more on the paediatric side of uh, things. Um, let's start, Pat, by just talking about the development of a child. What are the sort of top three things that you look for that may go wrong with uh, early childhood development? Well, you know, it's so amazing because girls are different than boys. Um, you know, we want to look at language and obviously make sure that they're developing language skills and hand skills. And, you know, right about the time of the age of one, they want to, you know, be saying certain things. But beside that, we want movement, movement before language, because we know that movement provides that critical feedback that allows the brain to develop so that it can get language and cognition. So we want the child to be able to crawl, to be able to lift their head up, to be able to hold their head up and be able to stand up and then be able to use their hand. And once they use their hand right around five, six months, they can start to maybe grab a utensil and feed themselves a little bit. And right when they start to use their hand, that's right near the part of the brain that develops the areas that give you language. So that's Broca's area, typically on the left part of the brain. So by the time they're using their hand, they're figuring out a way to talk. Right. And then when they figure out how to talk, they figure out how to walk. And then once they do that, they're in their terrible twos and they're figuring out how to disbehave. It's interesting. And look, obviously with parents, when they've got children that have some challenges, they don't know where to go to. So what are some of the signs that your child may exhibit that suggest a child may need to see a health professional in order to establish a diagnosis of a condition that may require some treatment? Floppy infants, you know, where they're just not holding their head up and they're not they're not rolling over, they're not crawling, they're not sitting up, and they're not holding their head up. Um, children who are not grasping things and using their hands or standing at least by a year, maybe a little over a year of age. And then, you know, if somebody is a year and a half to two years of age and they're not developing a vocabulary, there may be some developmental delay. And, you know, I did pediatrics for a couple of years and, you know, in the, in the medical world, I did, you know, mainstream medical uh, pediatrics. And, and really, this is, these are some of the things we looked at. And we found that, you know, if you weren't getting some of these huge milestones, there's so many milestones that we could go over. But the biggest thing is you got to have a kid that can, they can sort of sit up. And then you, you have to be able to hold your head up. And you have to be able to walk. And then you have to be able to talk. And, and whenever they wouldn't hit these milestones within – and everybody thinks that these milestones are so specific and they're really not. You know, we give three, four months for each of these things. You know, some kids walk at six months. Some kids walk at a you know a little over a year. Some kids have so many words in their vocabulary a year. Some kids, it's a little bit delayed. And and I'll say one thing: girls develop language faster than boys. Don't be surprised when your boy doesn't speak as fast as a girl. It's just the way their brains develop. It's interesting, now, Anthony. You know what the toughest job I reckon has been a parent with multiple children, having multiple children. I reckon the toughest job is having your first child. Yeah, you've got no reference points. Yes. You know, nope. and, and the only reference point is when you, when, when mum, your wife, goes to the to the children's group, and notices that Tommy's doing this, but Caleb's not doing this, yeah. or you know, Kiara's, you know, not doing this jumping that this other girl can suddenly do, and she, she's speaking a lot more. And so they come to do the dinner dinner conversation at night, and then you start to think, well, hang on, what's going on there? It's it's a pretty stressful time, especially for a first time parent. There can be a lot of anxiety around these things, and the first comment that people make when they sit down in these play groups or, uh, is, you know, so has Johnny walking yet, or, yeah. is he, or is he talking yet, or all those sorts of things. And you and I have both had 
a boy and a girl. Yes. Uh, so, you know, Brandon, we can relate very much to that uh, um, thing about the girl all, developing. All, all girls here, man. All girls here. Oh, yes, yes. So so, so that, was, oh, that was something we very much know. But look, you know, the boys catch up. Yeah, and they and I guess that's it's just that you know there is that window where you know it's not a hard line as Brandon was saying. So uh, you know we've got to really allow a little bit of flexibility there. So for for the when you're looking at these milestones, and of course from a uh, clinician's perspective, it's not just a a a line in the sand date. It's a lot of other things, of course, you will look at from examination uh, perspective. But you know, what are some of the typical dietary or lifestyle things that people can be doing to ensure? Uh, or parents can be doing to ensure their child has the right sort of development or the best opportunity to develop well? Yeah, the the best thing I can say is mentally engage initially with your child. I mean, make eye contact, make them use their eyes and follow things. And then talk with your child. And, And I will say this, if you're bilingual, I always recommend that maybe one parent talk in one language and another another parent talk in the other language so you can maintain that you know, that's a blessing really to be bilingual. And and so talking to your child so they develop those language centers and then really play so they, you know, can learn how to use their hands and they, they can learn to sit up, they can learn to reach for things, they can learn to grab things. And then one of the greatest things you can do for your child is read to your child. And then once your child learns to use their hands, teach them to write with their hand and not use a computer. I got to tell you, I've been reading a lot of research lately that shows this. Children, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but when they're in grade school, so many children are typing now and they're not handwriting. Mm, yeah. And they are not, they're not getting the, the neurological development that we really want them to, to get. I'm, I'm speaking at a whole, uh, linguistic and language conference next year about the importance of learning and how kids learn and stuff like that. And what we're finding is this. When you skip handwriting and you don't write out notes and you don't do mind mapping and you don't do graphing and you don't do things that are picturesque, children don't develop certain parts of their brain and they get this awesome posterior brain but their frontal cortex does not develop as well as it should and we're getting a whole different generation we're now past the gen xers we're past the millennials and we're i don't even know what we have now but it's going to be something completely different so brandon that's not just a dexterity thing with the writing then this is other aspects uh, that you're talking about with the neurology Yes, yeah, language, it's cognition, it's social interaction, it's understanding emotions, it's encoding what other people are saying to you. You guys, it's the essence of, of, of being human. I think that writing and learning to understand the human emotion when it's being read to you are two very, very, very important things. You know, my grandmother always read to me when I was younger, and I think it had a huge influence on the way that my mind developed when I was younger. You know, interesting, only yesterday in practice, mum brought two kids in, regularly does, and the iPads were flat. Right, okay. So she, know, she, gets, she gets managed and the kids are there on their iPads and the, and the iPads were flat. So this caused an incredible conundrum because, and I said to the kids, well, kids, what are we going to do? Maybe we can talk, maybe you can come here, maybe you can feel what we're doing in regards to our treatment, maybe get engaged. And it was really a difficult consultation because... The imprint of them just playing and, you know, head bent forward, talked about the text next scenario, and also that lack of using the brain, the the higher centres of the brain by just scrolling through stuff as well, using old centres of the brain, the midbrain, which Brandon knows all about. It's it's really going to be interesting what research develops from that. I mean, technology, as we all love, is fantastic, but 
in regards to the age appropriateness of it, it's it's something that um, I think has to be looked at. Absolutely. Screen time. Now, Brandon, at your your uh, my conference, you'll talk a little bit uh, uh, about medications for children, which um, you know have their pros and cons, of course. Do you want to just touch a little bit on that now? You know, these medications they stimulate the brain to function at a higher level. But if you have a movement disorder, you might get a tick. Or if you have a cardiac condition, it might exacerbate it. Or if you have other types of sympathetically mediated findings, there's going to be side effects. You guys have to remember, these medications are not brain-specific. Developmental disorders are brain area-specific. So you might get an increase in function, but it's not going to pick that one specific area and say, you need to be better or you need to be worse. So... Really, the cool thing is about some of the alternative therapies like neurological treatment and, and functional aspects, they're just cool. They, 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 they stimulate the part of the brain that you want. Drugs are very global. And in some kids, they're necessary, man. I mean, I've been around some kids that really have some really super bad behavioral disorders, and they do well with medications. But for the most part, I think that those functional therapies and rehab therapies are being overlooked to make the brain develop in harmony and in synchrony mm. and in symmetry. Yep. Yeah. And, I mean, you've talked earlier about dietary and lifestyle perspectives, Brandon. You've talked now about the medication, but we also need to talk about the nutritional and supplemental sort of perspective as well and helping child development. Do you have a comment on that? You know, I want kids to have good fats because your brain is so much fat. So I like the, the medium-chain saturated fats. And, you know, I know in America we have a lot of government-subsidized formulas and they're junk. I'm sorry. I hate to be just straightforward with you guys, but they're saturated fats. There's a lot of inflammatory, you know, dairy proteins in there. Some of them are gluten proteins. And I, I don't think that everybody has a problem with those. But when you look at the amount of sugar, the amount of fructose, the amount of no antioxidants, very low quality protein, highly inflammatory, you know, components, you start thinking to yourself, man, this person is going to grow up with a terrible brain. So I always say good fats, and then I always say good antioxidants, and a protein that is non-allergenic, and then you know going through that, you know we round out and say carbohydrates that are lower on the glycemic scale, and make sure they get a variety of vegetables and fruits. You, you can't go wrong with those things. I mean, Brandon, you can criticize the American diet, the pro-inflammatory soup of the American diet that you're talking about. And you sure at, can. And Australia, Rick, to be honest, Anthony, we're not we're, we're not, not we're not really a, mm -hmm. we're not a shining example, to be honest, as well. And certainly, you just have to go down to our local shopping centres and you see the kids that are overweight, the sort of crappy foods they're eating. You know, it's 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 an epidemic, really. So, in the in the fats thing you're talking about there, how often with with a with young children are you recommending supplementation? I mean, I'm assuming that that is the case with people who have some neurological development issues, but just as a general across the board health thing, can that can they get the those quality fats that you're talking about from their diet? Yeah, you guys, you got, you got to remember something. We have some kids coming in that have never had a good fat in their entire lives. Yeah. When you, when you look at their diet, I mean, think about it. When every cell membrane you have and all of your neurological connections and half of your immune system is modulated by fat and you've never had a good fat in your life, yeah. we, I mean, you, you can get as specific as you want and you can be the world's greatest doctor and you can do all these cool things, but let's just boil it down to some fundamental things for all your listeners to think about. You need to have some good essential fatty acids. Three, six, nine, 
medium chain saturated fats. And when you start doing those things in a large population of children, you'll start to see them come to life mm. with mood, with behavior, with development. I mean, I think that all your listeners need to just understand a couple of just basic fundamental things. Good fats that aren't tainted and that have a good out third-party testing source that will say there's no mercury in this, there's no arsenic in this. Yeah. And they take that and they take it on a regular basis. It makes an amazing difference for heart and brain health. So this is the challenge, isn't it? Because um, a lot of the – even the – traditionally good fats let's say for example from uh from deep water fish for example there's still concerns uh, on an older fish especially you know of uh, heavy metal poisoning with and mercury, uh, those yeah. kind of things particularly yeah. with the mercury so so yep. what, what's your what's your uh, opinion on those things be a practitioner or a parent that demands outside third-party testing to make sure there's no mercury or heavy metal toxicity and, and to be honest with you there's a lot of brands out, but there's not very many people that deliver the sources of fats. Yep. So, you know, I mean, I, without, you know, and I, I don't want to postulate and I don't want to give any companies out there, but there are some good companies that do have really good sources out there. They may be a little bit more expensive, but in the long run, they're way worth it. Yep. And then also teaching your kids, honestly, when they're young, teach them to eat food that have different textures. A lot of kids won't eat fish. Yeah. Like and that may be different in certain parts of the world. Like when I go to Scandinavia and stuff, they obviously eat a ton of fish because they grow up with it. Where I come from, you have to teach your child to understand the texture of fish and not beef. Yes. And I know that sounds so strange, but it is so 100% appropriate. My kids are just now learning to eat foods that are good and these really – these these fats that are good for your brain because they didn't grow up with it because we don't – we're not coastal. Mm. And yeah. – it's it's huge, but don't give your your kids tainted food. So a good fat that's not tainted, find a source. You know, you guys would be an excellent uh, reference for finding some good sources and giving it to your to your listeners so that they would know where to go to get those things. Yeah, excellent. And look, you'll be expanding a lot of these sort of topics at the Mind Forum in May in Australia, won't you, Brandon? Is that correct? Oh yeah, I'll go through what essential fatty acids not just do in general, like I've been talking about, but what they do in like a pillared system with your immune system, with your bilipid membranes of your neurons, with your cellular function, with your extra and intracellular function. You know, when you start looking at it from that perspective and you realize that your kid doesn't have any, maybe it becomes scary, and, and that's the real deal. I mean, think about it. I mean, uh, what is your kid going to be when they're twenty-one or twenty-two years of age, and they're five right now? It's going to be a different world than the world that we're living in with digital information and with, I mean, just social interaction with text messages. You don't even see facial recognition anymore. Mm. I mean, we could really go into and I don't want to get off on it too much, but it's kind of one of those things where, uh, I mean, guys, I love kids. I did pediatrics. I want to see these beautiful little brains develop into the next level of what the world has to live on. Let's face it. We've seen some crazy things in this world recently, and you yes. can even look to America for that. <laughs> yes. But what I want to tell you is the brains that we are developing now are going to be the leaders of the future. Yeah. Brad, if we move on to some alternative practices that have been utilized that offer promising changes from an, an implementation perspective that may also de demonstrate efficacy in research as well as various controlled studies, can you talk to that? Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, there's a lot of things that are coming up and coming out that are showing that there's a lot of children that are just born with asymmetric brain function. 
so they may have a massive right brain but no left brain and then vice versa and i'll tell you the child that is the that is really going to perform the best is the child that has a brain that is balanced symmetric and maybe you don't have the greatest right hemisphere or the greatest left but your brain is symmetric so that you have good language skills and good math skills good math skills and then good verbal reasoning skills good verbal reasoning skills and then good you know understanding the plot of a story and they grow up and they understand the world that they live in and they don't isolate themselves or become distinctively different. And really the neurological therapy that I think a lot of the functional neurology world is offering is going to be the answer to that versus medication. And again, I've seen both guys. I mean, I've been around both. I've done both. I've seen both. I've experienced both. And it's not that both have not offered wonderful benefits to children. But I can tell you right now, a child with a balanced brain, I would rather have any day than a child that has something that's been escalated with an amphetamine-like substance that doesn't have symmetry, but is just juiced up so they can function at a higher level. It's interesting, Anthony, we talk about, you know, IQ and EQ. Mm. You know, the IQ, yeah. that left brain, and we used to always think when we were growing up, you know, if someone had an IQ and they were super smart, et cetera, et cetera. And then you get into living life. Yes. And then you start to look around you, look at some, and you, we all define successful people in different ways. I know for myself personally, I look at people I really respect, I think, wow, they've got the balance. They've got actually the IQ, but they've also got the EQ. They've got that emotional intelligence, that right brain. They can actually discern situations socially. They can academically work through some rigorous stuff, but can they've got the package. Yes. And, and they can or well, they can converse and they can have relationships and they can understand that the hidden meaning in words and how to uh, I guess lead people, uh, which I think uh, someone who has a very is very much left brain orientated, very high IQ, but just doesn't have those social interaction skills, and that's that's what you know part of the balance is about. And what Brandon's talking about here when he talks about that's that sort of development of the brain from a from a childhood perspective. Yeah, Brandon, we talked yeah. earlier about uh, the difference between boys and girls, and I, uh, we often see this in you know especially uh, highlighted in the early years of primary school, um, where you know it's very much a sit down and listen to the teacher type environment how uh, what are some of these factors in education that work well for brain development and perhaps some that don't work so well well uh, again I mean I, I hate to stick on the literature thing I'm, I'm, I'm just my wife is a she's an English teacher she you know goes through reading and writing and literature and one of the cool things that we're finding is girls are really superior at language and literature and reading and writing at a younger age boys they're just off playing in the playground beating everybody up. They kind of understand the social environment of the playground. Girls don't as much. Um, But what I've learned to do is I get a lot of my children to read and write things that are more right brain or more left brain. I mean, we we were talking and and you guys did a beautiful job a second ago talking about IQ versus emotional intelligence. And we know that IQ is very, very left brain and that emotional intelligence or capacity is very right brain. So I have a lot of my boys write about experiences, so they're using their left brain, but they write about their social interactions, and they write about the things that they're doing in their life and the way they feel about things. That helps that right brain, and it utilizes that right brain they're very good at. Some of the the girls, they're very good at the linear things, and they don't know how to express emotion the way boys do, so I kind of crisscross it and have a girl do what the boy does and a boy do what the girl does, but through reading and writing and putting their feelings and emotions on paper so that that frontal brain is forced to execute. So they write, which is Eisner's area, which is right underneath Broca's area, and that's right in the frontal lobe. 
and they're not post posterior brain dominant anymore. Now they're frontal lobe dominant, and it's making their frontal lobes develop so they can grow up and not be completely out of their minds. They can interact. They can be social. They can engage in this world. They can make decisions, and most of all, they can be executives. Mm. They can make multiple decisions in a multiple decision environment. We all know this. You got to wake up every morning and say, this is what I got to do. This is how I have to do it. And some things may not get done, but others have to based upon their importance. And if we don't develop frontal lobes, that does not happen. I just had a flashback of uh, my primary school, flashback. And possibly, possibly oh. even early high school. Uh -oh. you, you, the first week Ooh. of school, the English teacher, you know what, what essay you had to write? Uh, hang on, what, you're a bit older than me. Hey, so what, Shakespeare, <laughs> Shakespeare, they're talking about those times? No, 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 no. I'm thinking left brain, right brain okay. interaction here is what did you do? Write down what you did for your holidays. Oh, so you're okay. having to reflect and put all those kind of things uh, in that Brandon was talking about, yeah. but you're still having to go through the you know, the, the skill of uh, being dexterous with, with hand and, and take those emotional thoughts that you had about your experiences and put them down on paper. So there you go. There, there, How'd there, you go? Uh, well, you know, um, I, I got through. <laughs> hey, you guys need to post some of those papers up, yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, your, your membership yeah. would go up. That's like crazy. You know? <laughs> the, the before and the afters. Uh, I'll, I'll be the befores. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> very good. Very fair. All righty. Now, Brandon, in regards – there's been a lot of publicity over from from the US regards concussion, trauma, NFL, and those sort of associationships. What about regards sports and athletic athletic activities for parents or guardians to be cautious of regards protecting their their child's brains? We've got some thoughts here, even from a the concussion perspective. I know that's an area you talk to as well. And, and before you answer that, Brock, have you ever seen an AFL game of football in Australia? I, I yeah, you know, I, it's so funny you say that because, listen, I have, and the next time I come to Australia, we're going to one. Right, right. I'm going with you guys. Okay. Well, no, we'll, you know, we'll I, have to I, sort I really, we'll, we'll have to set that out for you. Yep. I think you guys got the right idea, and that is get rid of the helmets. Yep. And, and, and if, everybody always asks me, what in the heck are you talking about? And I'm yeah. like, look, if I'm 250 pounds and I can run like a monster and somebody gives me a, a device to put on my head and says, you know what? You just put this thing on and it's going to protect you against every kind of danger. Mm. And then I run head into somebody else. My brain is still jiggling around, yeah. but I may not fracture my skull. You got to understand, you may be protected from head injury, but not from traumatic brain injury. So yeah. I'm doing my doctorate work on that right now. There's a difference. And so if you have a pretty face and you don't have a helmet on and you don't want to hurt your pretty face, then you don't use your head as a weapon. If I give you a helmet and say, go ahead, use your head as a weapon, you're going to be just fine. Then what happens is you start to accumulate repetitive trauma. And when you get repetitive trauma, there's these little inflammatory cells in your brain that turn on called microglial cells. And when they turn on, they create inflammation. And if you get enough repetitive head trauma, these guys will turn on and create these interleukins or these inflammatory-based chemicals, and they will start to eat away at your brain for the rest of your life, and you will end up with chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which basically translated for your audience means this, brain damage that's chronic from trauma. And, and so my thing is this. If you're going to put your kids in sport, which I think all parents should encourage if they can, put them in a sport that does not really just automatically put them in harm's way. You know, there's so many sports out there that are great that they don't have to use their head as a weapon. And, um, you know, putting on a helmet means you got to use your head as a weapon. So I would just say be careful, be cautious. 
there's lots of things that require dexterity, that require hand-eye coordination, that require physicality that you can do. Some of these are not the best idea, and I got to tell you, American football might be the worst one. Brandon, can I ask you one question? What your view is on soccer and and using the head with head when one does use the head for in playing soccer? Sure. What, what, what's your thoughts on that? Because there's a direct trauma each time on the frontal area. Often, is there any thoughts on that with what you've been doing with your research? Well, I will say this. I mean, the, the literature is kind of indicating that female soccer is a is, is is a pretty big deal. Probably the number two cause of trauma as far as mild traumatic brain injury, but. My thing that I always tell soccer coaches is, is it's not the header that's necessarily the worst thing. It's just when you're in practice and you're doing repetitive head drills and repetitive, 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 it can be a little bit um, taxing on the brain. So I always say this, look, why don't you cut some of that stuff out of practice when they have headers and stuff like that during games? Maybe that's not so bad. The biggest thing is if somebody gets knocked out, please give them at least 20 to 30 days to recover because that's how long it takes for microglial cells to yeah, calm down. Yeah. And, and so just, just take it easy on the practice, man. It's not, it's not that the game is bad. It's that when I'm throwing a ball at your head over and over and over, it's, you start to get repetitive stress and, and mm. it's not so good. And don't let somebody get knocked out and come back in too soon because they've shown this. The people that get knocked out, they're the ones that typically get the neurodegenerative diseases later. It's really interesting from the AFL perspective. We've picked up what's happening over in the US and with our code of our sport now. That I mean, the sports guidelines now have changed altogether. Concussion management's changed. Pre-assessment's done at the start of the year to make sure what the baseline is. And then when the, when, yeah. the, when there's a concussion incident, they bring out the paperwork, the med, the docs, and go, and they can see straight away, oh, well, we've regressed and off that game. And really now we're having concussion with AFL. They're off a week, two weeks, three weeks now, more than ever. And even more important than that is that their rule, the rules of AFL have changed. So, so you uh, that, that thing about using your your head as a, um, yeah. a, a as a weapon. It's not so much in AFL that that happens, but more that it's an option of getting a free kick. So that it, you know, yeah. it, 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 if you touch a player, you know, in, with any kind of uh, force above their shoulder, it would typically be a free kick. So players would learn to subtly put their head in a position where that would happen, whereas now as soon as the player ducks the head, the free kick goes the other way. So they're really yeah. discouraged from, you know, that you know that drawing, that free kick. Yeah, is so a great one, rule change. One, from actually getting involved in the first place, and secondly, from players using the system yes. to try and create. Now we've got them oh, covered. Absolutely, so. yeah. Well, they'll probably and work out something the fans next. fans are totally confused. Oh, but, right. Uh, that's right, we are, right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's Well, that okay. depends what lenses we've got on, because if it's our player who's getting the free kick against, we uh, yeah, yeah. tend to dispute that sort of scenario. <laughs> and there's so much more that Brandon's going to be talking about the mind from, obviously, which is just a, a caption of it, but uh, fantastic. Brandon, thank you for your, your time today, and you've given us so much uh, useful information. Maybe uh, you could sum it up with three little take-home points for our, for our listeners. Well, when it comes to your kids, uh, interact with them. And, you know, I'm not saying treat them like adults, treat them like kids, but read to them, teach them language, because that makes the main part of your brain that's going to give you IQ and intellectualism develop. The next thing is make them get up and run around and play and let them play because that's going to add another dimension to their cognition. The next thing is let them get in trouble. Uh, let them have social interaction. You know, they need to sort of have good times and bad times so they know how to deal with situations. I, I, I can't believe the amount of parents right now that are just scared for their kids to get into a social altercation. It's, it's really not that bad. Mm. Let them experience those things so they can get that, you know, as well. The next thing is when they get older and they start doing things like I'm going to go out and destroy somebody and demolish somebody with my head. 
maybe tell them that there's another sport that they might be able to do. And then the next thing is this, encourage education, but don't put so much stress on them that it's unhealthy and always lead by example if you're a parent. So if you want your kid to be something, then, and I'm not going to be, I don't want to be controversial here, but I'm going to say this, be an example. And if you can do that, then guess what? Your kids will probably follow right along in your in your footprints, and they'll they'll do a good job. But protect them, feed them, nurture them, educate them. Don't let them do sports that are just ridiculous. And you're probably going to do better than you know the average person. And then you know there's there's all kinds of things out there we can't control. Don't worry about those things. Excellent. Now at this stage of the show, Brandon, we like to ask our talent who an inspiring moment or something that's influenced their lives that have you know, perhaps created. Uh, change for them and brought them to what they do nowadays. Is there anything you'd like to share personally for our audience uh, about this? You know, um, man, there's so many inspirations. <laughs> I've run across a lot of people in my life. Um, you know, the, the, the people that are the most, uh, you know, it started out when I was in junior college. There was a, I had a professor that had polio. And uh, he was my history teacher. His name was Barnwell Anderson, and he was a uh, a pastor in the church there. And he was really disfigured, and he asked me a question about Abraham Lincoln, and I knew the answer. And he looked at me, and he goes, Brock, you're going to be a doctor. And I was like, okay. Uh-huh. So I listened. And then along the way, I met a lot of very fabulous functional neurologists that actually helped me develop skills. And I, I, can, I can never take credit from them. Uh, they've, they've always been fantastic, and my students have been really good. And then... I've met a lot of very good nurses that have been a force, like a super force of making me learn how to cater to individual needs. But the biggest thing is, is just becoming multi-dimensional in forms of degree, getting more than one degree, and then getting put in situations. I'll tell you the one thing that changed my life is doing hospice work. Um, you know, I got to see death right there. And when you do something like that, you appreciate letting people live and helping them live and, and stay away from that death component. So it, it changed me. And I will say this, my hospice rotations had a definite impact on me. And, I, and in hospice rotations, I had more kids than I did adults. Wow. So, so bring your kid to life, take care of them. Well, wow. what do you reckon? Great, great podcast and great information. And gee, that if anyone can get to mind uh, um, seminar in, in Sydney in, in May, that absolutely what a great speaker to, to hear in, in far more detail. Uh, Brandon Brock would be excellent. So, just further to that, uh, the Mind International Forum's 2017 program is on the 20th and 21st of May at the University of New South Wales in Sydney. Brandon is actually the keynote speaker. We will lead a masterclass in functional neurology and nutrition with a focus on a brain-based approach to chronic infections and autoimmune conditions. The Mind Foundation is a non-for-profit health promotion trust founded in 2005 and dedicated to expediting effective integrative health care to Australian children. For more details, please check www.mindmindd.org. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you, sir. You guys are great, man. I can't wait to get to Australia. How was that? Is that good? Perfect, Australia. Yeah. yeah, that's getting closer. That's, that's very good, that's mate. Good. Very bad. good. Not very bad. good, mate. Very good. I need a couple of pints and some more practice yeah, and I'll be yeah. there. That's right. Well, we've all got our language skills and, uh, you know, that's our Australian language skill there. Excellent, Brandon. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening right, to Backchat. To stay abreast with updates with Backchat, please go to our Facebook page, www.facebook.com forward slash Podcast. 
all relevant website links of today's podcast will be in our Backchat Podcast Facebook page. If you like this show, please leave a five-star rating on iTunes. We leave you one thought. Be the best of what you do, and you will grow and inspire others around you. We look forward to catching up with you on our next Backchat podcast. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter, The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.